Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys sound great this morning. Well, Trish sends her love. She is on her way to Kansas meeting with Dr. Terry Yancey and some other leaders this week talking about rural ministry. So uh, she, she said she would try to listen online. So, hey, babe, what's going on? You know, I'm way, there she is. So uh, anyway, I hope you guys are doing well. We're starting a series. It's going to be a three- or four-week series on fear. I thought, hey, it's about to be Halloween. Everybody's kind of doing the whole scary thing. I don't do the scary thing, Pat. That's not how I roll. But people do the scary thing. And so I thought, man, it would be really appropriate to talk about fear. And here's what I found about fear that was so fascinating. 99% of people, according to social psychologists, deal with the fear of rejection. 99%. That was unbelievable. I spent, and I'm not exaggerating, I spent close to two to three days this week doing research, and I was overwhelmed with the amount of research that's out there that talks about fear in people and what it does to their lives. So today we're going to talk about the fear of rejection, and the Bible has a whole lot to say about fear. As a matter of fact, there's over 365 scriptures in the Bible that deal directly with fear, more than one a day. And so God is really serious about fear and what it can do in our lives. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and here's what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a, and a sound mind. Now, I want to say this right off the bat. Um, the opposite of fear is not faith, and you may have heard that, but that, that's actually not accurate. The opposite of fear, this isn't in your notes, you may want to write it down, the opposite of fear is love. The Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear, okay? And, and I grew up where, hey, uh, the opposite of fear is faith, and I'm not saying people are actually theologically being incorrect, but, but the reality is the opposite of fear is love, and the Bible tells us that and perfect love casts out fear. So if you want to get rid of fear, you have to really understand and grasp and, and really just embody what love is. And love pushes fear out. That's a good way to look at that. And so as we're studying today, I want you to realize we're going to talk specifically about the fear of rejection. And, and this was a difficult message for me. And I'll tell you why it was a difficult message for me, because this is something I struggle with. Every week, I try to be super transparent with you guys. I'm very, very transparent. This week, I'm going to be more than usual because I'm going to use myself as an example because of some things that occurred in my life where the fear of rejection was such a big deal. And I'll cover that here shortly. So Proverbs 29, 25 says this, Fear of man will prove to be a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will be a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be saved. When I get around people, I want them to accept me. I don't want them to reject me. And here's the truth. We are hardwired from the factory. We are built by God for relationship. We are intrinsically designed to want to be accepted and be a part of a family. The Bible talks about this over and over again. We are part of the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And so relationship is intrinsically built into the Bible. And so you and I, from, again, from the factory, from creation, are designed to want to be around each other. But the problem with the fear of rejection is, what about it when pe people push us away? What about when people say no to us? What about when they reject us? How do we respond to that? Well, how we respond to that changes everything in our life. And if 99% of us are dealing with this, me being one of them, how has it impacted my life? What decisions have I made or continue to make because I'm concerned that people are going to reject me? Now, let me define what the fear of rejection is. Here's what the fear of rejection is. It's the fear of unacceptance by others. It's the fear of unacceptance by others. And there are traps that come along with the fear of rejection that will try to get you. 
And we're going to talk about those. Go ahead and look at your notes. Look up on the screen. The first thing that can happen when we uh, deal with rejection is this. We are overly starved. We're overly starved. And here's what we're starved for. We're starved for approval. We're starved for acceptance. We're starved for affection. And we're starved for attention. And I was thinking about this as an example. How many of you have ever been around a small child, maybe a toddler, a couple years old? Anybody? How many of you ever were a small child, a toddler? Anybody? Almost all of you raised your hands. That's, that's outstanding. Um, here, next time you're around a child, I want you to watch something, especially one of the ones that's just starting to get around a little bit, but they're starting to talk. Here's what you'll see them say a lot. Watch me. Watch me. Hey, Mommy, watch me. Hey, Daddy, watch me. Look at this painting. Look at this. Watch this. Watch me stick this bug up my nose. Watch me stick this bug up your nose. Watch it. You know, there's this thing, but, but have you, you know what I'm talking about right now? They're going, watch me, watch me, watch, look at me. Accept me is what they're saying. I want to matter because every one of us wants significance. Every one of us wants to be accepted by those that are around us. What happens when we get rejected? What happens when we're not accepted? What kind of road does that lead us down? Well, what happens is we become overly starved for acceptance and attention, and here's what happens. Then we start to compromise to get people's attention. Then we start to, maybe we know the difference between right and wrong, but we so want other people to accept us that we're willing to compromise those things so that we can fit in. I talked to the guys Friday morning at Bible study, and uh, there was a study, back in 2005, there was a paper on this. There were 1,500 sheep that ran off a mountain in Turkey and died, 1,500 sheep. They're up on the side of a mountain, and one of those sheep thought, I've got a great idea. Let's jump off this mountain. And one of the other sheep looked at that sheep and said, Frank, are you sure you want to do this? He said, I think this is a good idea. And so he jumped off the mountain. And then a couple of the others said, Frank jumped off the mountain. Well, I want to be like Frank, so let's jump off the mountain too. 1,500 sheep jumped off the mountain. Now, there was another 450 that jumped off after those 1,500 that died, but they were okay because they landed on the 1,500. So the moral of that story is don't go first. (laughs) Land on the other guy. As I read that story and I thought about it in the context of today's message, I thought that's what the fear of rejection kind of looks like sometimes. We want to be accepted so bad that we're willing to jump off the cliff with everybody else so that we can fit in. And we don't necessarily think about the repercussions. You can't tell me that some of those sheep weren't thinking, I really don't think this is a good idea. But, hey, if that's where everybody else is going, I want to fit in the crowd, and so I'll go too. The fear of rejection is real. It marks our life. In the Bible, there's a number of stories where we talk about people wanting to be accepted. Probably one of the most famous ones is about a guy named King Saul. And King Saul had been anointed king. And you've got to understand, there were certain rules and things that the king had to follow, but there were certain things that the king couldn't do that only a priest could do. And one of those things that only a priest could do was offer offerings to the Lord. And so uh, Samuel, who was the prophet, he was the the religious guy, he had told Saul, look, I'm going to come to the city where you are after you guys have done this battle, and when I get there, we will offer offerings to the Lord, but wait for me. And so, so Saul and the people went out, took over the town, everything was good, but then Samuel didn't show up. And day after day, Samuel didn't show up, and all of a sudden, the crowd started grumbling. The crowd started grumbling, and, and Samuel or Saul thought, man, I've got to do something. And the people were like, where is he? We've got to do something. Do something, Saul. Do something. And so here's what Saul did. He offered the offering himself. He knew he shouldn't have, but he decided to offer the offering himself. And then Samuel showed up and said, what have you done? What have you done? This is Saul's response. Now notice this. This is a king. Here's what he says. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, I have sinned. I was wrong. I violated the Lord's command because I was what? I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. Fear of rejection. 
I don't want to be rejected by the people. And so, therefore, I'm going to compromise what I know I shouldn't do because I want them to accept me. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. There's actually something that that social scientists have called approval addiction. And it says, look at me, look at me. I need approval. And this is what it says. Approval addicts have an inability to confront. They want approval so much that they're not willing to confront anybody when they know that they're wrong. Approval addicts also give in, but they're inwardly angry and resentful. Instead of confronting, they go, they go along with the crowd, but on the inside it tears them up because they know they shouldn't be doing it. But their inability to confront because they want to be accepted overrides what they know is the right decision. But now they become resentful. And I want you to understand, I understand this because fear of rejection is one of my major issues. Fear of rejection in my life is something that affected me at a very young age. And I'll tell you a little story. When Some of you have heard this. Most of you haven't. When I was 16 years old, I received Christ. And, and about that time, I started to really notice girls a lot. I liked them. And there was one girl in particular that I really thought, man, she, wow, this is, this is incredible. She was a, an officer in the drill team. They were called the Phillies. We were the Broncos, which made total sense. And, and she was, and I just thought, wow, the pinnacle of womanhood at 16. And a buddy of mine knew that I liked her. She didn't even know I existed. One day, Carl came up to me and says, hey, bro, we got a double date Friday night. I said, cool. Who's it with? He said, I got a blind date for you. I said, who's it with? And it was her. Yes, I had peaked at 16. I had arrived. She was older than me. She was an upperclassman. This was awesome. And so later Friday night after the football game, whatever, we, we met up with these girls, and, and oh, it was incredible. But they had been out drinking, and they had, were very intoxicated. And I was kind of naive, and I didn't know what was going on. And, and we, we went on this date, and she just told me how awesome I was and how she just thought I was this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just sitting there, oh, ah, 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 just eating it up, right? I'm just loving this. And this was the coolest thing ever until the next day when I get this phone call. And the phone call was, hey, I understand we went on a date last night. What did I say to you? <laughs> 16. Caleb, stand up. Where's my 16 years old? I'm his age. Turn around. I didn't look as cool as him. I didn't have that cool of hair. 16. Go ahead and sit down, bub. I'm his age. But here's what happened. Now, listen, I want you to understand something about my background. Awesome family. Very little dysfunction. Very solid household. This, this girl says this to me, and I remember saying this at 16. I will never let anybody hurt me like that again. 16 years old. I meant it. Okay? Well, here's what happened. Next couple years in high school, I become the guy. Class favorite, class this, that, and the other thing, all these other awards. I was one of the big guys on campus. Could date whoever I wanted to. And, and so I started doing that. And years later, what happened is this: I would date all these people. I would be around all these people. I was doing all this leadership stuff. But because of what had happened to me at 16 years of age, I would never let anybody get close. As soon as somebody started getting close to me emotionally, or relationally, I would push them away. Why? Because I'm never going to let this happen to me again from 16 years old. And so it started messing me up. Because here's what I noticed, guys, about when you don't do things God's way. When, when, you, when you sin, and it, what happens is sin comes in here, and it doesn't just stay right here. It starts growing. And what happened is that rejection at 16 began to make me compromise. And it made me begin to do things that I normally wouldn't do, things that I knew weren't even necessarily right. And I would hurt people, and I would, and I would not allow think God to do some things I knew he wanted to do in my life, but I didn't want anybody to get close. On the outside, I looked great. But on the inside, I was broken because of a silly little thing that happened when I was 16. But it's how I lived my relationships. It's how I approached not only my relationships. It's how I began to approach life. You know, it's really interesting when we look at the fear of rejection and what it does to us. There's a guy, I want to give you some homework here. His name is Jaya Jiang, J-A-I, 
G-I-A-N-G. Here's what I want you to do. This is your literal homework. I need you to go home sometime today or tomorrow, go on YouTube, and type in this guy's name, Jaya Jiang, and look up what I learned from 100 days of rejection. What I learned from 100 days of rejection. Because here's what happened to Jaya. He was in Beijing, China, and one day his teacher came up to the front of the class when he was six years old. What's that, first grade? Is that first grade? Okay, first grade. And he goes up, and, and the teacher said, all right, there's 40 of you guys, and here's what we're going to do. I want to build you up. And so each one of you is going to come up one at a time, and we're going to clap for you, and I'm going to give you a little gift, and then we're going to say some nice things about you. It was a great idea until about 37 people in, the class became tired of clapping. They were running out of nice things to say, and then it was Jaya's turn. And Jaya stood up in front of his class, and when it was his turn, nobody could clap. Nobody said anything nice to him. And Jaya, at six years old, in front of his first grade class, began to sob uncontrollably. He kind of made a promise like I did. I'll never let this happen again. And so Jaya, though, at 14 years of age, decided he heard Bill Gates speak. And here's what Jaya decided. I'm going to buy Microsoft. Now he's 14 years old. And so he decided he was going to buy Microsoft, but he knew to do that he needed to get a good job. So when he became old enough, he moved to the United States, went to school, got a good job, but he found out now he's in his 20s, early 30s, and he began to realize that this fear of rejection in his life would never allow him to speak out, would never allow him to confront anything. He wanted everybody to like him. He didn't want to be the the six-year-old. And so he could never grow past himself, and he realized he had a problem. And so he decided he was going to do something about it. Here's what social scientists say that we should do if we're going to deal with our rejection. We need to learn to embrace it. Because here's what fear of rejection looks like. When we think of fear, fear of rejection, it's not that the rejection is what bothers us. It's what we think it will do to us. We believe in our minds that when someone rejects us, what's going to happen is it's, we're going to die. That's what we believe. If, if this person does not hire me, you know what's going to happen? I'm just going to die. If if this girl, if I ask this girl out or you ask a guy, whatever, and, and if they, they reject me, you know what's going to happen? We go to the worst case scenario. What could possibly happen if this person rejects me? I'll, just, I'll probably die. Is that true? But that's what we think. And so Jaya saw this study. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to journey. I'm going to journal myself. And so he began a video blog. And what he did in this video blog is he, he decided once a day he was going to face rejection, so he created a list for 100 days, and every day he was going to do one thing on this list. And he was going to do something that he definitely knew he would be rejected for. So day number one is he went into the lobby of an office, and he walked up, and there was a big burly security guard, and the number one day was ask a total stranger for $100. So he's got his video camera, goes up, big burly guard stands up, says, can I help you? And, and Jai, this little bitty Chinese guy, and he, he goes, yes, I need you to loan me $100. And the guy looked at him and goes, why? And Jai goes, I don't and took off running. <laughs> that was day number one. Day number two was go to a restaurant. I really like this one. And he went to his favorite hamburger place, and he went inside the hamburger place, and he said, You know, have y'all heard of drink refills, free drink refills? He went to a restaurant, and he went up to the counter, and he asked for a free hamburger refill. And the guy behind the counter said, sir, we don't do that. He goes, yeah, but I really like your hamburgers. This one was great. I'd like another one for free, please. And the guy said, we don't do that. And he said, well, and so he went on his way, but he got rejected again. And he kept going through these days of rejection. Here's what the deal was. He realized he wasn't dying when people rejected him, Dave. But then something happened that he didn't expect because this was for himself. He went to Krispy Kreme Donuts one day. It was during the Olympics. And he said, hey, Krispy Kreme Donuts, would you guys go back behind the counter? And I would like you to make some donuts in the shape of the Olympic rings with the right colors and everything. And they said, hold on a minute. Fifteen minutes later, they came back and they had done that for him. Five million people watched the video. Five million people 
watched that video. And what Jaya began to recognize is that people started saying what? Yes. He decided one of the things that terrified him was standing in front of people to speak. So he went to the University of Texas, walked down the hall, and began to knock on the doors of professors' offices and said, hey, would you mind if I come in and taught your class one day? What he didn't expect was after the third knock, the professor said, sure, come on down. There's a video of Jaya standing in front of a class at the University of Texas teaching a class on the fear of rejection. Began to change his life. Not only did he not die from the experience, he learned to embrace it and overcome it, and it changed him. Fear of rejection is a big deal. So what's the second thing we can learn from the fear of rejection? It causes us to be overly cautious. It causes us to be overly cautious. Proverbs 28, 14 says this, Blessed is the man who always fears, and that word translated means has a healthy respect for the Lord. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. But because of the Pharisees, and John 12, 42 through 43 says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, because of the Pharisees' people, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For listen to this. For the people loved praise from men more than praise from God. We become overly cautious when we're concerned that people are going to reject us. In other words, we don't put ourselves into a position where people can say no. Give you an example again from my own life. Here's what would happen. I might like a girl. I might think she was cute. But instead of me walking up and asking her out, I ask all of her friends. I ask her parents. I talk to her dog. And I consulted, you know, whatever else I could. Because I was so scared of being rejected, I wouldn't even ask the question unless I knew she's going to say yes. What about when you begin to approach everything that way? You become so overly cautious that you never take a risk. You never step out. That's what happens when we fall into the trap of the fear of rejection. So how do we overcome this fear? What are the answers to that? Well, you saw like Jaya, we have to learn to embrace it, but it's much deeper than that. Much, much deeper than that. We overcome rejection by this way. Look at number one on your notes, and I'm going to explain all this in a minute. We need to learn to say yes to pleasing God. 1 Kings 22.5 says this, But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. See, here's what happens when we want to be accepted by people. As we begin to ask a lot of questions, when we have anything going on, we ask people, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? And what happens is people will give us advice, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad, but we decide now we have to do it, because I've asked 10 people, they all gave me 10 different things, and I don't want to upset anybody, so now I'm going to try to do all this stuff, and guess what, you can't. You're setting yourself up for failure. But when we say yes to God, what happens is we go and we say, how does the Lord feel about this situation? So what do I mean? Well, listen, the Bible is very clear about some of the things that God commands us to do. For example, God tells us that we shouldn't murder someone. Does everyone understand that? It's actually in the Ten Commandments. You don't have to ask God if you should murder someone because you already know that you probably shouldn't do that. You may think your neighbor down the road, let's just use his name Frank again. If your name is Frank, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. But you don't have to go, look, Frank is a jerk, God. And I really thought it over, and I was wondering, God, would you mind if I go down and just shot him because he's a jerk? Well, what's the answer to that? No. Now, if he's a Steelers fan, maybe. But, I mean, you know, God, God, there are some things that are written in the Bible that are just black and white. You don't have to ask God. You don't have to ask God because the answer is already there. But what if your friends give you the opposite answer of what God says? See, that's where the fear of rejection starts to come in. God says I shouldn't do this. This is what it says in his word. It's very clear. But my friends think I should do this. What should I do? You shouldn't even have to think about that. You just don't do it. Say yes to God. Here's the second part of that. And say no to pleasing people. Say yes to God and say no to pleasing people. Now listen, 
Some of you are going, Pastor said I had to say yes to God, so I'm going to go to school tomorrow, and I'm going to not listen to my teacher at all. That is not what I said. That's not what I said. What I said is when I'm talking about biblical things, moral things, what does God say? You say yes to what God says, and you don't necessarily pay so much attention to what people say. Decide to do things God's way. How do you do that? What does God's word say? And when God's word is not specific, ask for godly wisdom. You know, there are some people in this room that are some of the godliest people I know. And sometimes there may be some situations in your life that are going on that the Bible is not specific about. Maybe it's not a moral issue. Maybe it's, should I take this job or not? Should I marry this person or not? Should I buy this car or not? Listen, you can go out and ask some godly people. That's a good thing to do. You need to do that. But on the matters where it's very clear of what God says, go with what he says, and whatever me, me, and pee-pee, and poo-poo, and everybody else says, don't worry about them. You do what God says. That makes it easy. That makes it clear. Because now it's not about what people think. It's I'm going to do what God thinks. And so for me, that's where the struggle started to come in. I recognized in my own life that I was, that I was hurting, that, that I was being controlled by these different things, and I didn't understand why this fear had such a grip on me, that I so wanted to be accepted. And here's the reason I told you about my family background. I didn't have an excuse. See, I grew up in a great family. I grew up around loving parents. I, I, but this one rejection at 16 years old messed me up. Jaya's rejection at six years old messed him up. Here's my question for you today. What has messed you up? Who has rejected you that's marked you? Who did you believe that marked you? Because if the statistics are right, 99% of us are dealing with this. And we got to get a handle on it. But it's deeper. Now listen to me. Just follow with me. It's deeper than just saying yes to God and no to people. Friday afternoon, I'd been struggling with this message. Part of my struggle had been because I was unearthing a lot of stuff about myself. I was dealing with me, if I'm just being honest. And I was reading these scriptures, and and I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Know I'm a little bit of a crybaby anyway. But as I began to read some of these scriptures, God began to speak to me, and I began to weep in my office because this was just in my face. And I looked back on my life and realized how many decisions I had made based on the fear of being rejected by other people. On the outside, guys, I had everything. I was the guy. On the inside, I was broken. God brought it into really uh, just real laser focus for me uh, when I was about 22, 23 years old. Trisha and I had just started dating. And uh, so remember this happened at 16. I'm now like 22, so six years later. And and I decided, hey, I really like this girl. I'm going to introduce her to mom and dad. So we went out to the farm and walked into the house. My brother was home for the army that weekend. And he just happened to be there. And I walked in the house and introduced her to everybody. And this is exactly what happened. My brother walks over to her, shakes her hand, and says, Hello, number 127. Now the guys are going, You are the man. (laughs) I was jacked up. I did not know that my brothers and my close friends were keeping up. They had been keeping up with me just going through all these relationships, including two Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, by the way. It's okay. (laughs) I was so messed up. I remember walking out that night and going, God, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? This isn't okay. And so I began to seek the Lord about what it means to live with rejection and try to be a people pleaser all the time. And I began to to dig into the word, and and God began to 
to deal with my heart. And listen, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. I recognize that I could live for the approval of people and try to guard my heart, or I could trust God to guard my heart and live for an audience of one. I'm going to say that again. I recognize that I could live for the approval of people and try to guard my heart from everybody around me, which is impossible, or trust God to guard my heart and live for an audience of one. Trust him. And I began to make that decision. But here's the thing that I want to show you today. Wes, come on up, bub. We talk in our faith about the things that Jesus took on himself on the cross. We know that he took on our sin, correct? When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all of our sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took our healing. We talk about this, that he was whipped. The Bible tells us he was beaten for our healing. But there's some other things that Jesus took on the cross that we don't talk about a whole lot, that we don't necessarily think about. And I want to show you a couple things in the scripture here that are going to help you because it helps me. Now listen, I still have this problem. I want people to love me. I want people to like me. But can I tell you something, guys? Brandy, people are going to hurt you. They're going to hurt you. It's going to happen. The people that love you the most sometimes are going to hurt you. And you have to make a decision. How am I going to deal with that? What am I going to do? Isaiah 53, verse 3, Old Testament. This is a prophecy about Jesus and what would happen when he came. Here's what it said about Jesus, the Messiah. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. But look at this next sentence. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. John chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Jesus came to his own people and even they rejected him. First service, I had a woman come to me that was, this message really just resonated with her. And she said, what about when it's your own family that rejects you? I said, Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus understands what rejection feels like. Because he came to his own people. And not only did we turn our back on him, we despised him. The people he came to save despised him and rejected him. Listen, guys. This is not about religion. It's never been about religion to me. I could care less about religion. It's not about a philosophy of thought. It's about a living God who loved us so much that he came to this earth and experienced everything that you and I experience. He not only took our sin, he took our rejection. As I spoke to that lady first service, tears in her eyes, and she's talking about this deep pain that's in her heart. And she said, my family has rejected me. And I said, can I tell you something? When you pray... Jesus knows exactly what you're talking about. We don't have some far off God that doesn't understand our pain. He has literally walked in your shoes. He has literally walked in your shoes. And the worst rejection that you could ever feel comes underneath what he experienced. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because when Jesus hung on the cross and he took all of our guilt, all of our shame, 
all of our pain, all of our rejection. There was a moment, the Bible tells us, that God, his father, the person he had never been apart from at all, turned his face from him. And this is what Jesus cried out. He said, Father, Father, why have you what? Forsaken me. Why have you rejected me? The reason I cried Friday is the light bulb came on. The light bulb came on because I realized that Jesus had to experience rejection at a level I could never understand so he could take my rejection. He was punished for us so that he could take that. So when we live, 99% of us, with this fear, we have a God that's been there, done that, literally wrote the book and says, look, cast all your cares on me, including your rejection, because I get it. I get it. And just like your sin was nailed to the cross, so is your rejection. So what does it mean to be accepted in the way God thinks? What does that mean? Isaiah 55 verse 3 says this, Come to me with your ears wide open, says God. Listen, and you will find life. I will make you an everlasting covenant. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised, David. That's awesome. But I think the scripture that struck me the most out of everything I read this week is the one I'm about to share with you. Because it's going to be really personal for me, but for those of you that have faced rejection or are dealing with it, I think it's going to be really personal for you. Because your biggest fear is that you won't be accepted. So what does this look like in the kingdom of God? Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 16. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on them in their suffering. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us, and the Lord has forgotten us. And we can put ourselves, this is talking about the church now. So you can replace Jerusalem with your name. Yet Chris says, the Lord has deserted me. The Lord has forgotten me. Notice his next words. Look at this. Never, exclamation mark. Never, exclamation mark. Can a mother forget her nursing child, says God? Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? Even if that were possible, I would not forget you, God says, exclamation mark. But Danny, that wasn't the thing that got me. It's this next sentence. See, God says, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Chris. Scott Lana and then as I began to think about these amazing words that God wrote I began to think of where my Savior was crucified he was crucified in the wrist but they consider that to be the hands And every time that Jesus looks down and sees those nail marks, he's reminded of his love for me. And he's reminded of his love for you. I can never forget you, says God. I've written your name on the palms of my hands. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says this. I will never fail you, and I will never what? Abandon you. Never abandon you. Never abandon you. I'll never reject you, God says. When you are adopted into God's family, 
When you become a part of God's family, when you receive him as Savior and you are adopted into this kingdom, you become an unbreakable part of it. You become an integral part of the body of Christ. You become written on the palms of his hands, and he will not forget you. So what I want you to hear today, you don't have to be rejected because you are completely accepted by him. Completely accepted by him. Amen. I'm going to have Wes sing this song. I ask him to sing it. I want you to just be in an attitude of prayer for a few minutes, and then I'm going to pray over us and let us go. But just let this song soak over you. If you're one of these people that deals with rejection, if you're dealing with this, if this is resonating in your heart and you know who you are, let this just flow over you this morning. And then I'm going to pray for us. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love for me, no, his love for me, who the Son sends free, is free indeed, I'm a child.
want you to know. Everybody look up at me. He will not reject you. People may reject you. People are going to hurt you. But when you find your worth in him, when you understand that you are a child of God and that he will never reject you, there's a place for you to stand. You can handle the rejection of people because you are completely accepted by the heart of God. Not because you're perfect, because Jesus took your rejection on the cross. And you can be free. You can be free. So here's what I want to do this morning, a little bit different. If you deal with the fear of rejection, but you want to come down today and you just want to say, God, just help me with this. Lord, just give me freedom from this. Help me to understand I am totally accepted by you. I just want you to come down and stand across the front. I'm going to pray for you from one rejected person to another. Come on down. I'm just going to pray with you. Just be brave. Come on down. Amen. Come on. Wherever you are, just come on down. somebody behind, everybody up here, somebody behind everybody praying. Come on, Pat. Y'all come on down. Everybody's praying with somebody. This is a big deal. This marked my life. Everybody's down here praying with somebody. Amen. Everybody's praying with somebody. Good deal. Got somebody down on the end down there. Anybody else? It's a place of strength. What's interesting is some of you feel like you can't come down here because you don't want to be rejected. <laughs> it's a place of freedom. Wes is going to sing that song one more time as we're going to continue to pray for these people. We're going to stay here with these guys as long as we need to. I'm going to dismiss you in a moment, okay? Right now, let's pray for these folks. Go ahead, Wes. Go ahead and sing. The sun sets free. Oh, is free
created you to be. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. We want to see you become everything that God wants you to be. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray over you. Just do me a favor and exit quietly. You guys can visit out in the lobby. We're going to step here and pray with these folks. Father, I just thank you for this family that you've called us to. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them as they leave this place today. Lord, I thank you for a healing that you promised us for lives being changed because that's what it's about. Lord, as we leave this place, we know we're going into a world where people are hurting and lost. There's darkness everywhere. Lord, help us to be the light that points them to you. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our families. Change our community. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Oh